In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So nice to get to see you and hear your voice, even though I can't really see you. I'm happy to be talking to you. I hope you've all had a great week so far. Hope the sun is shining, birds are singing. I wanted to get into uh, a little bit more of this alternative history. We left off with Adam and Eve in this great shifting or this great displacement of Earth's crust that caused the oceans to zip across the face of the continents, destroying everything in their way as the Pacific and Atlantic oceans just pile up miles high, sweep across the continents, erasing everything we know today. It reminds me, I once saw, I once saw a documentary on these Tibetan monks. And they were just talking about their lifestyle, the things they did throughout the day and how they thought about life and things that were important. And the senior monks, they played this game where over a period of three months, they created the most elaborate puzzle. Not a puzzle in that it's something you put together, but it was almost like a piece of artwork where they took different colored sand or or dye, or better to think of it as sand, and they made these just incredibly intricate designs on on a platform the size of a quilt let's say like a think of like a beach towel or maybe a beach quilt and they made these elaborate designs all over the entirety of the quilt and it was just beautiful and pristine with perfect color combinations and 
Some parts were higher and some parts were lower. And they would bring the children up once a day to see it and, and help. And once they finished, once they finished the actual product, everyone stood back in amazement and just and the, the cameraman showed it. It was beautiful. Just this beautiful tapestry of colors and shapes and beauty and hard work and sacrifice for six months. And then they all collectively got down and blew it off. Just blew all the sand off like it was nothing. And I always thought to myself, like, wow, what a great way to symbolize the power of the earth. What a great way to symbolize the idea of how we imprison ourselves. You ever think about that? You ever think about all these things that we make, be it mankind or yourself? They're all like sandcastles, right? Like you can build a really cool sandcastle. However, it's just a matter of time before the tide comes up, takes it down. Sometimes you can fool yourself. Like, yeah, I'm in the sandcastle competition. I'm gonna bring my hairspray. I'm gonna bring these special little combs. I'm gonna make a turtle. You know, or I'm gonna make this huge sandcastle that looks like the Trump Tower. Or I'm gonna make a sandcastle like the White House. Or I'm gonna make a sandcastle that looks like a mermaid. You ever see those competitions? That's kind of like our life. We spend all our time making these sandcastles that we think are so important. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just a matter of time before the tide comes and walks them down. I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend time building your sandcastle of life. What I am saying is that you should be mindful that what you're building is not going to last. And I think that will help you to put some things in perspective. Nothing lasts. Not the love you have for your parents. Not the trees that you've planted in the ground. Not the experiences that you had when you were five. Not the place where you work, not the company you started, not the car you drive, not even the love for your family. Nothing lasts. Some people may think, wow, George, that's kind of dark. What do you mean nothing lasts? Why should you just run out and be crazy and rob banks and do... No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying nothing lasts. So you should enjoy your life and when I think of enjoying my life I think of trying to be present and trying to stay in the moment so that I can make everyone around me better you understand like we spend so much time in our heads we spend so much time trying to fantasize about what things will be like if we could just have this other thing but the truth is, if you can focus on being in the moment and you can focus on, wow, what is it 
that I can do right now to make this other person feel better? Wow, what, why is this other person like this? What can I do right now to make the world a better place? And I, I think the answer to making the world a better place is understanding that regardless of what your position in life is, regardless if you're the Jeff Bezos or Jeff the janitor, regardless, you're a force to be reckoned with. There's no reason why you can't be inspirational to everyone around you. I think about that sometimes. I think to myself, you know, on on some days, I think to myself, man, I'm I'm just I'm just this truck driver. I just drive around and drive this truck and look at all these other people that have so much more. Very few days I do that, but look, sometimes you got down days, right? And on other days, I think to myself how lucky I am that I have the ability to go out and inspire like 150 people a day. That's about how many stops I do. I do about 150 stops. So I try and not only communicate, but I try to, I try and bridge the gap between myself and the person of whom I'm seeing, especially when I see him on a daily basis. I would say that I know about about 80% of the people I deliver to, I try and notice things about them that other people don't. And because I see them every day, it's easier to do. And once you do that, once you start really beginning to notice the people around you, you can provide them with a sincere compliment. You can provide them with maybe some insight into their own lives. And you can only do that by taking the time to understand that you, listening to this, are inspirational. You have a choice. You can go out and be that person that sees things differently in everyone else and help them see it. Or you can be the person that falls into the trap and just wishes they had more, wishes that, or just wishes, right? The truth is, you are as much of the divine spark as anyone else. And that, regardless of how big somebody else's sandcastle is, it's just a sandcastle. If you can begin thinking this way, it's really easy to start seeing the world differently. Sometimes people build such a cool sandcastle that other people want to come and help them build it. And then all of a sudden, the guy building the sandcastle doesn't want to build it anymore. He starts managing other people to build it. At that point in time, I think you've lost contact with the sandcastle. The more possessions you have, the more possessions that you have, the more possessed I think you are. 
it's such a trap. It's such an easy way to fall victim to the forces that don't matter. The more you contemplate the long-term, the more you contemplate the long-term ramifications of what could happen in your life, the less you live today. Don't get me wrong, it's good to have goals and you should have goals. However, it's important to remember that some goals are better than other goals. Which brings me to another point. The topic of goals. Like if you do want to be successful, you should set goals for yourself and your family. You know, whatever it is, maybe it's traveling, or maybe it's just hugging your kid more, or maybe it's learning something together. Whatever your goals are, that's how you move forward. That's how you get a sandcastle built. Let me ask you this. What are the goals of our country? I live in Hawaii. I live in the U.S. And I am 45. I've been to a lot of different schools. I read a lot of books. But I'm not sure what the goal of my country is. Do you know what the goal of your country is? Maybe that's why we're so messed up. Like, We have no common goals. It seems like our goal is to make money. What's the goal? Make money. Well, that's a pretty shitty goal, especially when most people can't even agree on what money is. Why do you want to have money? So I can be free. You're already free. Like, what if our goal, what if our collective goal of a country was to eradicate corruption? Would that be a good starting point? What if the goal of our country was to eliminate poverty? Right? We don't, we don't have that goal as a country. Instead, we have decided that we should not have a common goal of ending poverty, that we should allow entrepreneurs to start a company that will help people get out of poverty. See, that's different. The incentive structure is different. The incentive structure for our country is making money and profit over anything. I'm not saying profit's a bad thing. Profit's a good thing. However, our country has no clearly defined goals. Maybe each state should have a mission statement. Maybe each country should have a mission statement. And maybe that is what our senators and congressmen should be doing is, hey, this is our goal for this year. We want this. Let's just focus on one thing for this year. Obviously, problems come up. we got to have votes. However, what if, here's our five-year plan. In five years, we want to have no one living under bridges or we want to have a lot less people living under bridges in this country. That should be easily doable. 
We're pr- we printed $1.9 trillion. How about maybe our goal should be to potentially find the fraudulent activity in the banking sector. Maybe that should be the goal of our country. Well, how did we get there? I went from Adam and Eve, cataclysms, Buddhists, to the banking sector. Let me jump back on track here. Hope you enjoyed that. But let me get to the reading about these cataclysms that I started off doing. Here we go. Adam and Eve, the history of cataclysms. Reading number two. Noah, Adam and Eve, Vishnu, Osiris, what do they have in common? They represent eras, ages apart, and yet, somehow, they all join hands in the next cataclysm and walk with us. There are others who walk with us too, men of science long forgotten, those who first saw that these tumbles, these cataclysmic catastrophes, or revolutions of the Earth's shell have happened before, countless times. J. André de Luc in 1779 and Georges Cuvier in 1812 were the foremost. Dolomieu, the famous mineralogist, joined the consensus, as did Escher and Forel, the Swiss geologists. Also, J. Andre DeLuc Jr. and Von Butch, they all agreed that the cataclysms were caused by sudden revolutions in the wrong direction by the surface of the Earth. Cuvier, in his Theory of the Earth, first published in 1812, based his conclusions on his unparalleled correlative research in stratigraphy. in stratigraphy, comparative anatomy, and paleontology. As a matter of fact, Cuvier was the founder of the science of comparative anatomy, based on his pioneering, self-taught work in that field. At that time, he wrote, every part of the earth, every hemisphere, every continent exhibits the same phenomenon. There has, therefore, been a succession of variations in the economy of organic nature. The various catastrophes which have disturbed the strata have given rise to numerous shiftings of the continental basin. It is of much importance to mark that these repeated eruptions and retreats of the sea have neither been slow nor gradual. On the contrary, most of the catastrophes which occasion them have been sudden, and this is especially easy to be proved with regard to the last of these catastrophes. I agree, therefore, with Mr. M. M. DeLuc and Dolomieu in thinking that if anything in geology be established, it is that the surface of our globe has undergone a great and sudden revolution, the date of which cannot be much earlier than five or six thousand years ago. Also, one preceding revolution at least had put the continents underwater, perhaps two or three eruptions of the sea. These alternations now appear to me to form the problem in geology that it is of most importance to solve. 
In order to solve it satisfactory, it would be necessary to discover the cause of these events. These ideas have haunted, I may almost say have tormented me during my researches among fossil bones. Researchers which embrace but a very small part of those phenomena of the age preceding the last general revolution of the globe and which are yet intimately connected with all the others. Many attempts have been made to answer the charge made to the geological profession by Cuvier to explain these sudden revolutions in the wrong direction. Among others, Velikovsky tried it through his studies of myths and legends. Hapgood tried it, Hugh Brown attempted, and in the process amassed a tremendous library of geological data. Every time the cataclysmic concept has risen, the beast has been stoned, burned at the stake, beaten to a pulp, and buried with a vengeance. But the corpse won't stay dead. Each time it rises the lid off its coffin and says in sepulchral tones, you will die before I. The latest of the challenges is Professor Frank C. Hibben, who in his book, The Lost Americans, said, quote, this was no ordinary extinction of a vague geological period which fizzled to an uncertain end. This death was catastrophic and all-inclusive. What caused the death of 40 million animals? The corpus delicti. And this mystery may be found almost anywhere. Their bones lie bleaching in the sands of Florida and in the gravels of New Jersey. They weather out of the dry terraces of Texas and protrude from the sticky ooze of the tar pits off Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. The bodies of the victims are everywhere. We find literally thousands together, young and old, foal with dam, calf with cow. The muck pits of Alaska are filled with evidence of universal death. A picture of quiet extinction. Any argument as to the cause must apply to North America Siberia, and Europe as well. Mammoth and bison were torn and twisted as though by a cosmic hand in a godly rage. In many places, the Alaskan muck blanket is packed with animal bones and debris in trainload lots. Mammoth, mastodon, bison, horses, wolves, bears, and lions. A faunal population in the middle of some cataclysmic catastrophe was suddenly frozen in a grim charade. Supernatural winds, volcanic burning, inundation and burial and muck. Preservation by deep freeze of both torn up animals and muck. Any good solution to a consuming mystery must answer all of the facts, challenges Hibben. The challenge wouldn't leave me alone. Like a hunger, it gnawed at my subconscious. I could hear the deep tones of Cuvier's challenge find the cause of these events still still reverberating through the sacred halls of science ghostly unanswered I felt Hibben's challenge prodding me answer all of the facts I decided that the cataclysmic concept this catastrophic end which visits our planet time after time needed verification 
or refutation once and for all. The first step was to gather all of the known accepted data from as many sciences pertaining to our planet as possible. Stratigraphy, stratigraphy, archaeology and radiology, anthropology, paleontology and oceanography, plus cosmology and astronomy, and seismology and oceanography. The paleo languages such as prehistoric Mayan, even evolution could not be ignored. Further cross-correlation of the data between the sciences had to be honored. All of the foregoing gave the answer. Although there is enough data in most sciences to indicate that these cataclysms happen, there was not enough in each science to derive the process or prove the concept. But between science, cross-correlation showed indeed that the concept was true. Not only did it verify that the events have happened, but disclosed when the last five cataclysms were and what positions the shell of the earth has been in for the last 35,000 or more years. This was a first time effort for certain. So after years of research beginning in 1949, Cuvier's challenge had an answer. Yes, indeed cataclysms do happen, but I had not yet found the answer to his challenge. Find the cause of these events. It would take me 20 more years to find the cause and trigger of cataclysms. What makes them start? And further, exactly what is it that happens after it starts? What is the process of a cataclysm? Finally, what is the timetable of cataclysms? It was obvious already from the data that it was non-linear. Was it a mathematical function? that we could derive from the data? Or is it random and frustrating in its unpredictability? The more learned, the more to be discovered and learned. Meanwhile, what a chase and what a dramatic story of the history of Earth we uncovered. Civilizations of more than 20,000 years ago, more advanced than our wildest imagination, Prehistoric legends from Greece, Egypt, India, and South America which became history instead of legend. Lost continents in the Atlantic and Pacific which became dated realities with logical reasons for their sudden disappearance. Yes, Vishnu came alive, a man who lived through a cataclysm many thousands of years ago. Actually, ten cataclysms ago. Now he is known as the Hindu god of ten resurrections from the waters. Osiris was rediscovered. He was the Jesus of his time, a man of Egypt some 15,000 years ago. Noah smiled at us from the pages of the Epic of Gilgamesh. He actually was a Sumerian named Utnapshitim, who lived just around 7,000 years ago. The ark he built is more than legend. The process of a cataclysm is known now. Aloha everyone, thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast, I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me, or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place, and if you listen to your heart, and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, 
circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.